Hello, listeners, and thank you for listening to the NK News Podcast. This is another episode in our summer special mini-series on the 13th World Festival of Youth and Students in Pyongyang 30 years ago. Today's episode was recorded in, on Thursday, June 27th, here in Seoul, Korea, and my special guest today in the studio is Mr. Che Song-guk, a cartoonist originally from North Korea. But first, an announcement. We at nknews.org rely upon paid subscriptions to keep the newsroom going, turning out leading articles on all developments in North Korea, as well as in-depth analysis of what this all means. Please consider buying such a subscription. You can save $50 on your first year's subscription by using the code PODCAST at the checkout. And also, please share this podcast with your friends and neighbors and colleagues. All right, so to introduce my guest today, Mr. Che Song-guk is a cartoonist originally from North Korea. He became famous in South Korea for his webtoon, Rodong Shimmun, a nice play on words of both the most famous North Korean daily newspaper and the tendency of torturing political prisoners. That webtoon has now been published as a book, and I brought my copy of the book along to this interview so that Mr. Che can sign it afterwards. Although we will talk about his book and life in South Korea as well, the main reason for interviewing him today is because he lived in Pyongyang in 1989 when the 13th World Festival of Youth and Students took place. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Che. Ah, yeah, 반갑습니다. Nice to meet you. What were you doing in July 1989 when the World Festival of Youth and Students came to, uh, to Pyongyang? I was a student at that time. I was eight years old. Now, I understand that although you didn't directly take part in the festival, your older sister uh, played a role and told you about her experiences. Is that correct? Right. Yes, that is correct. But um, more than uh, what my sister experienced, for me, I you know, remember what it was like, you know, the atmosphere of that time and what it was like to be outside. So my sister was a gymnast. Uh, so, I mean, that was a part of the reason why she had a really good body figure. And she was chosen as one of those, um, you know, ladies who presented a bouquet. And she gave a um, bouquet to the president of Zimbabwe. So you said that you uh, remember the the atmosphere in uh, in Pyongyang, the the feeling in society. How was it? Tell us a bit about that, please. Right. So the main instruction was uh, for us not to talk to the foreigners. We we've taught we've been um, we've been taught that you know foreigners uh, shouldn't you know, be engaged with. No, we shouldn't talk to them because, um, you know, it will put us in peril. It will be dangerous to um, speak to them. So especially for those uh, residents who are living in Pyongyang, we had a special training um, regarding how to interact with the foreigners. And there was even a guidebook. Okay, so uh, let's hear more about the different training. You mentioned that there was a special training about how to in- interact with foreigners and there was a guidebook. I'd like to hear as much as possible about that, please. The guidebook was not distributed to those selected people. It was actually open to everybody. And there was even a inspection uh, to check whether people were able to memorize it. Uh, so one thing that I, one thing that I still remember was that um, you know there was a you know question about the statue of Kim Il Sung, and the guidebook says that well you might be sometimes asked by those uh, strangers who pass by the statue. Oh, how heavy is the um, pedestal that uh, supports 
the statue of Kim Il-sung. And the answer is supposed to be uh, that's the weight of the entire people's hearts. So basically, uh, the guidebook listed all the possible questions that may be asked by those strangers, by those foreigners, and then, you know, they gave us answers. Were those answers in Korean or were people expected to give those answers in a foreign language? Answers were written in Korean. And I remember another question that I saw from the guidebook was that, oh, so South Koreans are richer than North Koreans and they have this open economy. But what, then like, so why do you North Koreans not open? And then the answer is supposed to be, well, South Korean's economy is a subordinated, it's called like a subordinated economy, so it's not going to last very long. Just a, a, a curious thing, was this book, as an eight or nine-year-old, was Mr. Chair uh, expected to read and memorize this book as well, or was he just looking at his sister's book because it was interesting or he, and he was curious? Yeah, I was about nine years old at that time. And I think I just naturally, you know, have contact about it because everybody else was talking about it, you know, my siblings and village people and my parents. So that's how I naturally had a chance to read it. Okay, so am I correct in understanding that it wasn't necessary for him to memorize it? Yes, it was not obligated to me. I didn't have to memorize it. But still, you know, what was shocking to me was that all the questions were regarding things that were unthinkable to us North Koreans. You know, for example, there was a scenario uh, posed by the, you know, guidebook, and then he said, oh, okay, you have to do such and such when a foreigner is trying to kiss you. Things like that, oh, somebody is trying to kiss me, that, that scenario is like, in and of itself, was unthinkable to us North Koreans. So that's why, you know, all the subjects were very sensational to us, you know. And then we didn't know, you know, there were there were foreigners everywhere, but the but they were not seen to us. They tried to keep the foreigners from us. You mentioned that your sister gave flowers to the president of Zimbabwe. Did she have any other contact with foreigners during the, the week of the festival? Yeah, that was it. That's what my sister did. And she had a gift. She received a gift after presenting the bouquet. But other than that, there wasn't anything else. Do you know any other North Koreans who, who had a contact or a conversation or any exchange with uh, foreigners? I have like a personal experience where I had a um, contact with foreigners. One day, I was just, you know, playing with my friends. There's like, you know, a pond where we were just swimming and playing in the pool. But then... Those people, you know, tried to try to send us away from there, and then everybody else dispersed. But I was still young, and I didn't know what was going on, and I was still just playing around by myself. And then all of a sudden, a group of foreigners approached, and then they even they, they and then they saw us, and then they just took a picture with me, and they and then I saw a picture being developed at that point right there so yeah it was like a so surprised and impressed but then yeah I was given the picture but then I was of course you know take I mean the picture was taken away so one time I was in the bathroom in a public bathroom but then all of a sudden uh, those officials I assume they are government officials they uh, shoved us shoved everybody into like one toilet 
And that was later on, we realized that that was because a foreigner had to use the bathroom. And we had to stay silent until he finished, he released himself. And then, you know, we pretended that there was nobody else. Wow, that's that's very strange. How many people were in the toilets tall together? So there were about six, but some of them were my friends. And then I, there were also like strangers who ended up, you know, being stuck in, in that toilet stall. And why does he think they did this? Well, I mean, what's wrong with seeing, you know, children in a public toilet? Yeah, for us, it was very, you know, obvious. You know, we were not supposed to have contact with foreigners. We were not supposed to meet them. Did he develop a fear of foreigners because of this? Yeah, in my mind at the time, I couldn't make sense of what was going on. I thought, well, everybody in North Korea, we are living at peace. But why are those foreigners are trying to uh, demolish us? So after the festival was over uh, in July 1989, was that uh, the end for the uh, for the guidebook, or did that guidebook stay around and and uh, train people in how to deal with foreigners long after 89? Well, the book was mainly used for the festival, but even after that, you know, that occasion, there was still the. There was still the book, you know, we could still get a hold of the book and there were other books in a, in a similar vein. For example, uh, answers that KCTV journalists gave to foreigners, something like that. Wow, okay. And, and that might still be going on today. Yeah, I believe you could still find them somewhere. I believe you could still get a hold of the copy somehow, but I still think that, you know, because the because of the financial situations in North Korea is very severe, I don't necessarily think that the government is still, like, you know, publishing this book. They do publish certain books, but those that are definitely needed, you know, that are definitely needed for uh, educating the people you know, regarding politics or something like that. You know, this kind of guidebook is not that needed these days. So I don't think they are, you know, in publication these days. Okay, but it does sound like there is some kind of uh, warnings or training uh, about what kind of answers to give to foreign questions or how to act around foreign people when, you know, if they should meet them. Yeah, as I said, yes, there was a certain trainings and warnings, but, you know, like, it's still, we still have, like, such uh, warnings or training whenever there's an occasion. There is, like, something, uh, some anecdote that I want to share. Back then, during the festival, the government has uh, provided ham and butter to those residents whose apartments were along the first road, so-called the first road, they gave us ham, like, um, they provided five kilos of ham per household. And those, uh, those people who were living in apartments that were away from that, you know, road, they were not uh, given that ham. So, you know, they wanted to make sure that we North Koreans also uh, eat food like this. To give a good impression to foreigners about the diet that was available in North Korea. Yes. Does he remember anything else about the food at that time? Were the rations the same as usual? I, I heard that um, before the festival, the harvest was not very good. So it's, I guess it's possible that some of the food that the local people usually ate was diverted to feed the uh, tens of thousands of 
visitors to the festival. So did he notice any, or does he remember anything about the rations at the time? Yeah, I was too young to see if there was any change in terms of the rations. But then I did see a lot of new products like yogurt. I've never seen yogurt up until then. Does he remember seeing the uh, South Korean student Im Su-kyung on television or in newspapers at the time? Yeah, definitely. She's still famous, you know, until this date. She's very well known as the flower of unification. Do you know why Im Su-kyung uh, carried such a significance? That's because she was the one who proved the legitimacy of the North Korean regime. If somebody behaves like she did, the third generation, three generations of the family will be wiped away, wiped out among. But then she came all the way just, you know, to prove the legitimacy of North Korean regime and then just returned to South Korea. Because of that, we North Korean residents, you know, had that pride as North Korean people. Because we now believe that, oh, you know, Im Su-kyung risked her life and she did this to uh, come to North Korea all the way. And that, oh, we are in the right country. Now we do believe in our, in our uh, institution. Can you explain what do you mean when you say that uh, if you behave like Im Su-kyung, three generations of your family will be wiped out? We saw what she did from the eyes of North Koreans. So let's say you betrayed you betrayed your own institution, your own regime, and crossed the border, and she even like showed a contempt towards South Korea, which she was from. You know, in this case, you know, of course, you will be you will be punished. What impression did North Koreans get about South Korean society or South Korean wealth? Um, or sort of lifestyle from her. Yes, the impact that she had on we North Koreans, she, I mean, because of her visit, we actually had some kind of like a yearning for South Koreans. We were very uh, impressed because, you know, first of all, she was very, you know, pretty. She came with those like a bob, with this like a bobbed hair and she was cute. And then the, uh, pants that she was wearing. I can't really describe what Mambubazi is, but that was very stylish from our perspective. And I also remember she was very, very eloquent. Um, and we were just thinking, huh, like South Koreans are very, you know, very like eloquent. Everybody um, can deliver such a good speech. You know, back then, through the Nodong, through Nodong Shimun, we saw a lot of South Koreans uh, doing the street protests. So we were thinking how oh, maybe that's why they're you know so good at talking and also another thing was they she looked so free you know she was pretty much doing what she wanted to do and like in North Korea that is not an option you know we should always exercise self-restraint self-control but then we didn't see that in her demeanor at all and then that was very fresh to us. What else do you remember about uh, the festival, that period of time? Well, I just remember 
that like since that since that instant since that festival the society as a whole has become more impoverished that's how i feel i also heard that you know they no longer distributed the rice and then they started giving us bread and then you know the food rationing has become diminished okay let's talk now about um, his experience of leaving north korea he mentioned you mentioned earlier that uh, after you were caught selling um, North Korean, oh, sorry, South Korean films in Pyongyang that you were banished from the city of Pyongyang. Uh, how and when did you decide to leave North Korea entirely? Right, so I was selling South Korean movies in Pyongyang and then I got caught and I was imprisoned. Then I was banished from Pyongyang. And from that point on, I was I was being watched by the government, and I mean, including my family as well. And then I decided to, um, you know, send my family out of North Korea. So my family were successfully uh, fled. And then because of that sin, which was, um, which was helping my family escape the country, I was imprisoned for six months and was put to the forced labor. And then after being released, I also escaped. Wow, okay. And uh, where in, in North Korea were you at that time when you escaped? Hamgyongnamdo. I was living in Hamgyongnamdo, Hamgyongnam province. I'm speaking of being banished from Pyongyang. I don't think you will understand exactly what I mean, but the difference is huge. When someone is sent away from Pyongyang, Sometimes people commit a suicide. And if a family member is sent out of Pyongyang, they usually have a divorce. The couple sometimes have a divorce. And I'm sorry to those you know who live in those provinces, but people in Pyongyang, we sometimes refer, um, refer to them and then say just bugs. We just call them bugs. And I use this term like a crow. But then, yeah, that's how we describe them and then the life, life, um, you know, of the province. I would say the difference is about like one century. You know, the life in Pyongyang is about one century ahead of the life in a province. And I didn't know what it was like. I didn't know why the difference, uh, why there was a difference. But then I tried to uh, dig into the matter, but then I ended up being in trouble because of that as well. But then after having lived in a province for three years, I realized that there were like two kinds of laws regulating these two um, areas. And then living in a province like Chibang, it's just so difficult. I would say, yeah, you have to go through far more tribulations. You, It's not a life of a human being. I would say, um, you know, North Korea is run by two laws. And then for the majority of my life, I lived under the law that was made for one million people. But then I also also experienced the life under the law that was made for 24 million people. And then they were drastically different. It means there's a, a different law for people in Pyongyang and people outside of Pyongyang. Yes, exactly. Well, you're you're famous now in South Korea as a uh, a cartoonist. How did you become a cartoonist, and or did you start with cartoons in North Korea? In North Korea, we have this event on uh, June 25th, 
when the Korean War took place. Uh, so what we do is like we write letters to uh, South Koreans, and what we say is, "Dear South Korean comrades." I know how much tribulations you are going through under the colony of the United States. If you bear it just a little bit, I will come to save you. That was the you know, main idea. Uh, but at that time, I drew instead of writing a letter. Uh, I drew a picture of American army invading North Korea. Uh, by putting South Korean army in the front. Uh, it was unique, I guess, to them. And then I was chosen as somebody who draws from that point on. Wow. Tell us a little bit about um, uh, comic books in North Korea. Did you read them when you were a boy? Uh, were they funny? Were they interesting? So when it comes to uh, cartoons in North Korea, I should introduce this place called Joseon, uh, April 26th cartoon movie studio. Um, in foreign countries, it is known as SEK6. We have the name because Kim Jong-il visited on April 6th, sometime in 1970, April 26th. So working for this organization called SEC, it would be like working for a big conglomerate like, you know, Samsung in South Korea. Uh, that's because if you work for this company or, or this organization, you will be given, like, rice and also, like, you know, one kilogram of white rice and oil. And also you can get uh, one of those items, television, washing machine, or bicycle. And let's say if you are married and have a child, and you can even, like, go, you can even have a chance to go to overseas, but, like, your wife and your um, child will be held as hostage but you can still have you still have a chance to go overseas because you work with those foreign uh, foreign clients our main clients were France and Italy and they subcontract uh, their work so we produce for them um, yes we of course also produce cartoons for those domestic um, domestic for those domestic viewers as well, but it only accounts for 20%, so 80% of it is for those foreign clients. Uh, a lot of people, when they speak about North Korean economy, they don't even think about this animation industry, but I would say it's a huge portion that creates North Korea's uh, profit. So when he was caught uh, selling South Korean movies in Pyongyang, was that was he still working at SEC at the same time? So I worked for SEC for about eight years, and the business that I ran, which was selling South Korean movies, was after I resigned. And I'll tell you why I left. When I was working with those foreign clients, I don't know whether he was from France or Italy, but then he used to smoke this cigarettes downhill. And he also carried this purse that looked like a belt and whenever he opened it there were a lot of there was a lot of money like you know ten dollar bill a hundred dollar bill something like that that was u.s dollar i mean that's a huge amount of money because at that time what i received monthly was only one dollar and then i was so curious oh why is it that he could make a so he could have so much money and then i somehow uh, figured out 
what their money was about through someone who has access to that foreigner. And then I realized that that was actually his like monthly salary. And as I said, my monthly salary was only one dollar. And then I thought, oh, you know what? If I leave this job and then if I run my own business, I could make that much money. So I had those you know flurring feelings in my heart, and that's why I left the job. And since then, I also um, yeah I had different businesses. For example, I also ran like a computer cafe, like PC Bang, in a Korean South Korean version of PC Bang, and also like you know I also sold computers, and I. Uh, copied the South Korean movies and then sold them, which was very popular. One thing that I want to make clear is that uh, North Korea is not where you can run a business freely. You can't do it freely. So um, it's a country where you know you are persecuted if you do so. But thankfully, I had really good connections who helped me with this operation. So I was able to survive, but only for three years. North Korea does not allow such private business. Okay, now because we're almost out of time, I've only got one more question for you, and that is your uh, your webtoon Rodong Shimun is both funny and at the same time moving. Uh, how do you strike that balance between being uh, amusing on the one hand and being kind of you know painful uh, or touching on painful memories on the other hand? Uh, <laughs> Well, thank you for the compliment. How can I strike such a good balance? Um, I don't know if I could say this, but I am I'm a Christian, and I believe that the Holy Spirit has led me to uh, dive to a variety of different experiences, even to this day. And it's been a while since I uh, started living in South Korea, and I also worked as a journalist, and journalist, and I now kind of understand the South Korean taste. So you know, based on my experiences in South Korea, and I also knowing the taste of South Koreans. So I think that was doable. Well, I want to say uh, thank you very much for coming uh, to our studio today. There's so many more things that I would love to ask you and uh, and talk about. Uh, unfortunately, we're just out of time, and I've got uh, another interview scheduled for immediately after this. So I do hope you'll come back and uh, talk to us again some more one day. Okay. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure for me as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you for joining us today, Mr. Chair. Listeners, if you want to read the book of cartoons by Che Song-guk, Look for Rodong Shim Moon, not Rodong Shin Moon, as is the name of the North Korean uh, newspaper, but Shim Moon, as in uh, torture, at your local offline or online book retailer. Uh, or look online for the uh, webtoon at this uh, following URL, tinyurl.com slash Rodong's. That's T-I-N-Y-U-R-L.com slash R-O-D-O-N-G-S and you'll find the uh, the webtoon online there Costs involved in the production of this podcast were partially funded by the Uni Korea Fund for which we are extremely grateful